can be seated. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew 26, specifically. I'll be reading verses 17 to 25. Actually, I'll back up to verse 14. Uh, This is immediately after the anointing of Mary, uh, just prior to verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, It was penned uh, through Matthew's hand, but uh, ultimately it is the Holy Spirit of God, uh, the um, the third person of the Godhead who uh, is uh, speaking to us here through these words so you can know that they are trustworthy words, that they are God's word. Verse 14. Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to deliver him up to you? And they weighed out to him thirty pieces of silver. And from then on, he began looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man, and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. Now, when evening had come, he was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. And being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely uh, surely not I, Lord. And he answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. He said to him, You have said it yourself. Amen. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, we uh, need you at all times, but as I regularly say, we especially, I especially need you now. But so do your people, Lord. Uh, we need you, uh, first of all, to be the preacher, uh, to not hear uh, worldly wisdom from a man, uh, but to hear heavenly wisdom from the Son of God. Would you please speak uh, through this message that I'm about to deliver? Would you uh, reach each one of us at our point of need? Um, whether that's need for encouragement, uh, 
for comfort, for instruction, for rebuke, um, whatever it might be, Lord, would you please use this uh, preaching uh, to be a blessing to us so that we might uh, be more glorifying to you in the way we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, let's see. All right, all eyes up here. Good, good job. Um, you all, I think, are pretty sure most of you children know this. Maybe you don't, but uh, I'm going to tell you. You know, Jesus had disciples, right? He had disciples who were followers of him. And Jesus had 12 disciples, 12 men who followed him for three years during his ministry on the earth before he went uh, to be with the Father and the Spirit in heaven. Do you remember uh, who it was, children, who turned Jesus over to the authorities to be killed? It was one of his followers. Do you remember who it was? His name was Judas Iscariot. I just read his name a few moments ago. He was a very bad man. And he betrayed, that's a fancy word for turned over, turned Jesus over to the authorities so that he would be killed. And he was a very, very bad man. Well, let me ask you this. I'm going I'm to talk about uh, Judas a little bit more, but let me ask you this first. Who was Jesus? Judas Iscariot was one of Jesus' followers, but who was Jesus? The Bible tells us, children, that Jesus was and still is fully God and fully man. He is both God and man and always will be at the same time. And because Jesus, when he was on earth, was God, because he was God, he was God the Son, actually, he knew that Judas Iscariot, this very, very bad man, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that. Jesus knew when he chose him three years before this point in time. So let me ask you this, children. Why do you think Jesus ever decided to call Judas to be one of his disciples in the first place? Why would Jesus do that? And then... Why would he have chosen him three years ago? But even more to the point, why would he allow Jesus, uh, Judas rather, to remain with him all the way up until this point in time? Because he knew that he was going to be betray him. That he was going to turn him over to be killed to other bad men. Well, kids, this passage tells us why Jesus allowed Judas to remain as one of his 12 disciples right up until this point in time when Judas betrayed him. And listen for that as I I work my way through this passage in this uh, sermon. There are two points uh, to the sermon that I've summarized uh, its contents under. The first is this. Jesus deliberately uses Judas... Iscariot, to accomplish the divine plan regarding his own, Jesus' own suffering and death. He uses Judas Iscariot to accomplish that divine plan. And secondly, this text teaches us that Jesus urgently warns Judas of the consequences of his sin, his treachery that we read of 
in this passage, or that, that uh, begin to uh, read of in this passage. So first, Jesus deliberately uses this very evil man to accomplish God's divine plan, his own, because he is God the Son, divine plan regarding his uh, imminent suffering and death. Let me remind you of the setting here. Uh, we've been working our way through Matthew. We've arrived at Thursday of Passion Week. Passion just means uh, suffering uh, from the original Latin that the word uh, comes from. Uh, and uh, the week of Jesus' suffering that ended in uh, his suffering. And this is Thursday of that week. It's one day before Friday when Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. Uh, he was arrested and tried in the very, very early morning hours uh, of Friday. And actually, Friday began, you'll recall, at what we would call Thursday at sunset. So the, for the Jews, Friday begins at Thursday what we would call Thursday at sunset. So it is uh, still Thursday. It's prior to sunset. Um, and Jesus is about to celebrate and does celebrate uh, the Passover with his disciples. And it's referred to here as Passover in this text. Uh, Passover is loosely um, referred to here um, as actually it's actually referred to here in this text as the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, uh, Matthew actually refers to it as the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, in verse 17. Uh, Thursday as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it's uh, and he does that even though technically uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread uh, didn't actually begin until Passover was completed, which again occurred at sunset on th- our Thursday which we would still think of as Thursday, but the sunset occurred, uh, Friday began uh, for uh, the first century Jew. And um, and Friday is the first day of unleavened bread, but they are, uh, but uh, Passover is on Thursday and blends into Friday, if you will. And so the point I'm getting at, folks, is the two festivals were commonly viewed and spoken of as a single uh, celebration, which for all intents and purposes they were. Okay, uh, they went hand in hand. <coughs> Excuse me. And so the Passover meal uh, uh, was being eaten uh, by Jesus earlier that evening before sunset. So it was still Thursday, technically, uh, when he uh, is going to eat the, uh, the Passover meal with his disciples. And Judas, who has already spoken with the chief priests, um, uh, Judas comes now. Uh, and participates in that Passover meal um, uh, this, this evening. Jesus is going to use Judas. Um, and that's not a bad thing. God uses all sorts of things, and he uses people for his holy purposes, and this is an exceedingly holy purpose for which God the Son was going to use this evil man. Uh, and he um, is uh, going to use this man uh, to do what he wants him to do. And that what is about to transpire in the next uh, day or two or three, that what is about to transpire was all according to Jesus' divine plan is confirmed by a couple things in this passage that we're looking at here today. Specifically by a couple of predictions, or otherwise known as prophecies, that Jesus makes. We're going to look at two of them. 
uh, and they point to his sovereign control over the events that are unfolding, uh, beginning with this night's uh, Passover meal. First, we read of the first event. It's described in verses 17 through 19. I'll read it again now. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with the disciples. And the Passover and the disciples.
the Lord Jesus, uh, before he uh, departed from the earth, instituted two holy ordinances that we sometimes call sacraments. Holy ordinance, if you don't like sacrament, is fine. Uh, that he himself instituted. Uh, one, of course, is baptism, and the other is this meal uh, called the Lord's Supper uh, or communion or the Lord's table. Um, Rev. Uh, record of the institution of the Lord's Supper is found in a few places, uh, several places actually, one of which is Mark 14. I'm going to read from Mark 14, starting in verse 22, where we read the following. And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it, and he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The Lord's Supper is, uh, the Lord is the host of this table. Uh, I am just merely acting, if you will, on his behalf as a servant. But he is the one who is here. Um, and this meal that he has given to us is uh, a sign. It is symbolist, symbolism, rather. Um, uh, the elements themselves, the, the color of, uh, of the fruit of the vine and the, uh, the bread and my breaking of it point to the brokenness uh, of his body and uh, the, the blood that he would shed for us. So it is symbolic. Uh, it is a sign, in other words, to use a more biblical word. But it is more than mere symbolism. Uh, it is also a seal, a sign and a seal, let's explain that in just a moment, of the, uh, of the new covenant, of the covenant, uh, the final um, administration of that one covenant of grace that was richly articulated in the garden in, in uh, Genesis 3.15, but come to its fullest expression in the new covenant that Jesus was and is the mediator of and and this meal is a sign of that covenant and a seal of it. What, I, what do I mean by a seal? A seal is um, God is saying something as we partake. He is communicating. Jesus, I should say, God the Son is communicating to you something. And what that is is that His promises uh, in the gospel, uh, all His promises really, but particularly related to the the message of salvation, uh, His promises are sure. And he is reaffirming to you as you partake of this meal that uh, you can trust that you are, you are okay, you are well, all is well with your soul if you are resting fully in Christ and in him alone for your right standing before God. Um, and you can derive great comfort from his assurance uh, through this meal to you of that. This meal is to be observed in remembrance of his sacrifice of himself, but not merely of his sacrifice, although that's the, in some sense, the pinnacle of his atoning work. But you should also remember his perfect uh, obedience to his own law, uh, his uh, resurrection after his death, uh, and his ascension into glory, all of which are part and parcel of the redeeming work that uh, makes you uh, right with God and me right with God. Um, By partaking of this Meal, we are proclaiming Christ's death uh, and his atoning work afresh until he comes. It is of great value to the believer. Now, 
God, as uh, Trey, would, has, in conversations we've had, we want to point this out, God can uh, use this meal to bring an unbeliever to Christ as a means to bring him to Christ. So it's a means of grace when an unbeliever uh, comes to Christ. But I'm using the word means of grace more uh, narrowly here. Uh, when I say it as a means uh, for the believer to be sanctified, the person who's already in... Because again, only believers are supposed to partake of this meal. It's for the believer. And so... Uh, in the believer's heart, he's already wrought a new heart. He has already justified uh, the believer. The believer needs help with growth in Christ-likeness. And that's just what this meal is designed. Uh, I can't give you the verse, but it's, it's, um, it's clear that uh, it's a means of grace, uh, of blessing, it's a cup of blessing. Jesus, uh, Paul describes the cup of the uh, of the Lord's Supper as, and so blessing comes, and undoubtedly blessing includes and is centered around your sanctification and mine. You have areas in your life. I have areas in my life where uh, our struggles, where we where we sin, and those may be unknown to anybody but ourselves, or perhaps they are known by a few people. The point is we all struggle. We all have besetting sins, uh, weak weaknesses that uh, continue to afflict us as Christians. This meal is to help you grow in, in obedience in those areas, and other areas too, of course. Uh, so you need this, I need this. This is spiritual food for our soul, um, and it is uh, something that is a, a means that God the Son wishes to use to bless you and to bless me. Again, this meal is not for everyone. Um, this meal is only for those who know themselves to be Christians and um, so that we can have some assurance as uh, elders of this church that you yourself are indeed a Christian. Uh, we ask that unless uh, that you be a baptized and uh, a member, a baptized member of a uh, of a church that believes that Jesus is the only way to God if you're going to protect. You don't have to be a member of this church, but a baptized member of another church so that we have assurance. Because we are responsible for making sure that uh, the Lord's Supper is guarded from unbelievers. Uh, and so uh, we would ask if you're not a baptized member of an evangelical church to refrain. You must also refrain from coming if you are clinging to some known sin in your life. If there's an area in your life that you don't want to change in and you know uh, is offensive to your Lord, uh, first of all, you might not be a Christian if you're uh, stubbornly refusing to uh, uh, work on that area uh, and ask God for the grace to be more obedient in that area. Um, You may not be a Christian. Or you may be a Christian who is just being, dare I say it, stupid, Um, a fool. Um, you know, you're playing games with God if you're doing that. And you must not come. You need to repent of your foolishness uh, and ask God for the grace to um, be broken over your sin and to want to change in all those areas that you don't want to change in right now. So don't come if that describes you. But if you are struggling with sin, you know your sins, you're aware of them, and you you hate them. You grieve over them. You want to be rid of them because for God's glory you want to be rid of them, not for some uh, 
uh, ego massage, but for God's glory, because you know it grieves the heart of God and, and dishonors him when you sin. If you want to be rid of them, um, then you're struggling with sin, that's fine. You need to come. As long as you sincerely uh, hate uh, and want to put off the sin that remains within your heart. So, let's now pray and ask the Lord Jesus to um, bless this uh, participation of ourselves. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you are the host of this table. Uh, You are the uh, Savior and King of your people, the head of the church. Uh, And you love us with indescribable love. We are so grateful for that. And we thank you that this meal uh, and what it points us to, your atoning work, um, is to be an enormous reminder of how much you love us. We thank you for that love, Lord Jesus, that, that caused you, impelled you to go to the cross for us. We ask, Lord, that as we partake of this meal, that you would bless us in our partaking. We ask that you would set aside these elements from their common everyday use, unto the holy purposes for which we are about to use them. Um, We know there's nothing magical in the elements, Lord, but we are engaging in holy business here. And so would you please set these elements apart, consecrate our, our partaking of them. And would you please honor yourself uh, as we do this. And we ask this in your name. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, as I am ministering in his name, give this bread to you. And he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Please wait until we're all served, and then we'll partake together, likewise, with the, uh, with the wine.
The body of Christ was broken for you. Take and eat. In the same manner, he also took the cup, and having given thanks, as we have already done in his name, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from it, all of you. There is grape juice in the middle. If you can, in good conscience, partake of the wine, but we would encourage you strongly to
now God's blessing. Now may the God of peace, who brought it from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.